Welcome to the Sports Pharmacy Network, where we dispense clinical and evidence-based information to optimize health and human performance. My name is Brandon Welch, and I'm the host of today's show, and I have here with me Dr. Jessica Bill-Stahl, who is our co-host and the Vice President of the Sports Pharmacy Network. Have you ever wondered about supplement safety, quality, and clinical effectiveness? Today, we have Sports Pharmacy Network's Director of Human Performance and registered sports registered dietitian, Sean Casey, to review supplement safety, quality, and clinical effectiveness. Dietary supplements are products we have likely all encountered at some point in our lives. It is an industry with over 50,000 different types of products and one that has surpassed over $40 billion in revenue. It is also an industry with some regulation issues and therefore brings about some inherent health risk to using these products. Knowing that risk exists, it is important to make informed decisions when purchasing and taking any dietary supplements. Thankfully, we have third-party programs such as NSF Sport, Informed Consent, and OPSS, just to name a few, to protect athletes and consumers from misbranded and adulterated products. OPSS, also known as Operation Supplement Safety, mission is to provide the best evidence-based information about dietary supplements to military service members, their families, healthcare practitioners, and leaders to achieve human performance optimization. Since many military service members use dietary supplements for promoting health, improving performance, bodybuilding, losing weight, and more their goal is to provide the tools and resources to help users make informed decisions about dietary supplements to reduce the potential risk to their health and careers. Stick around to the end, guys, as we unveil the top key strategies on selecting safe and effective dietary supplements, but also how to evaluate its clinical application. There is a ton of information to unpack on the show, and we invite you on this journey to mastering the intersection of science and sports. Let's dive right into it. What's going on, Sean and Jess? Hey, it's good to be on. Good to see you, everyone. Hello, hello. So, you know, we've talked about this topic quite profoundly here. And, you know, with the supplement industry being over over $40 billion and, you know, consumers and athletes being inundated with so many different choices of supplements. And then also we're, we're confused with all this information that's out there when it comes to labeling and some of the ingredients on the back of the bottle. So just to kind of get very general and some baseline knowledge, what would you say would define a dietary supplement? I would basically define a dietary supplement of uh, any individual ingredients uh, that it, that help with, uh, at, uh, be it sport performance, overall health and wellness, fat loss, things of those nature. So basically when you have a single compound that's pulled either out of the food supply or the natural world, and encapsulate in higher doses than what you'd find in the same volume in a food source. For instance, you can have something like magnesium. We know that there's magnesium uh, supplements. That's basically a concentrated source. You can get everything in one pill that you normally find in maybe two cups of spinach leaves. It's, I, I was like, I've always, I think I remember I was most shocked when I was in pharmacy school and found out how unregulated the industry is. So, um, for those that don't know, the FDA does not regulate supplements. So basically anybody can put them on the on the shelf and there's nothing saying 
and what's on the label is what's in the product. So what are your thoughts on that one, Sean? I think the big issue since you've been in this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, there are regulations in place. The biggest issue that I see is the FDA is just so woefully understaffed to actually enforce a lot of these regulations. Um, you know, the only time a dietary supplement is actually gets reported or um, is, you could say, overseen is if it kills someone. <laughs> like in, in the in the big picture, I say it half jokingly, but I'm serious. Uh, yeah. Most supplements, um, as you mentioned, to get on the shelves, there's no oversight or no qualifications that necessarily has to pass through. Um, by law that uh, any dietary supplement should be manufactured in what's called the CGMP um, facility, which basically means it's uh, is up to current good manufacturing practices. But the issue is you might only have, you know, the FDA or somebody step in these facilities once a year. I've had people tell me that they had, they know manufacturing labs who didn't have anyone oversee them for over two years in terms of actually stepping into their facility. Oh, wow. So it can get really shaky in a hurry. And so then what you're um, forced to do is, you know, just cross your fingers at the manufacturer is actually using good manufacturing practices. And I should mention there are, you know, some different third-party auditors that will help with uh, GMPs, you know, certification. So NPA, which is like the Natural Product um, Association, they can do additional third-party audits of facilities. Uh, the other one is um, NSF, which um, is a big one, and, you know, especially in the sport pharmacy world, you know, make they can NSF certify supplements and things as safety. But um, it stands for, I think, the National San Sanitation um, Federation. I, I, I totally butcher that acronym, but I know it's NSF. I'm drawing name blank on the acronym words. You're on the right path. Here's the, oh. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's like the National <laughs> Sanitation um, Organization. But here's the thing that people need to realize. Even if you have a dietary supplement that's manufactured in a, you know, a CGMP you know, facility, GMPs do not say anything about the um, efficaciousness of the dietary supplement. Um, all that a GMP certification says is that, hey, this manufacturing facility doesn't have rats running around or, you know, it doesn't have unsafe, you know, food practices. But like I said, it doesn't say anything about the actual quality of the supplement. Are they dosed efficaciously? Are the labels, you know, necessarily accurate to the thing? Uh, here is something that I found very fascinating when I got into the dietary supplement world. Most companies do not do any uh, third-party testing of their label to make sure if it says, hey, 100 milligrams on the supplement, that there's actually 100 milligrams in it. Uh, one of the things that will always jump out of my mind was I was working with a manufacturing lab that mass produces supplements on a very large scale. Um, and I was asking them, like, how many companies actually do third-party testing with you guys? And he's like, Sean, he's like, only about 5% of any companies do any third-party testing. And I'm like, do you mean to tell me that 95% of the supplements that I see on the shelves of stores that I go into have never been tested? He's like, well, it's actually worse than that. I'm like, what do you mean it's worse than that? He's like, only 1% of the companies actually do it how you guys do it. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, what most companies do, he's like, they, they may third-party test the batch we produce for them and say you know, December of 2023, but they don't third-party test the batch we produce for them in January of 2024. Or what they do is if you have 10 ingredients on a label, they, they may test um, two of those ingredients and say, well, if those two ingredients are in place, we're going to make the assumption that the other eight are as well. 
And what I can tell you from working in the supplements formulating with different manufacturers over the years is I've probably had to reject, um, reject you know, six to eight batches of dietary supplements simply because they did not meet label claims. So even if you're using the best manufacturers in the world, people are people, mistakes happen. As you guys know, in the pharmacy world, certain substances, if they're stored in light, if they're stored at not the wrong temperature, it'll literally degrade them. So even if it's not like a nefarious, you can still have things met. So these are important things that people really need to know as it relates to dietary supplements, the manufacturing of them. Now, Sean, you, you bring up a great point in the sense of, you know, NSF certification and informed consent, having these third-party players serve as almost a supplement police, but to protect clean sport for athletes. And then also to make sure there's no adulterated or misbranding on the labels for your general consumer. One of the things I common I commonly see, um, you know, from working in, in retail pharmacy for a few years is that the label USP, United States Pharmacopoeia, I see that almost nowadays on a lot of the supplements that are sold in your typical convenience store or your typical wholesaler like a Sam's or a Costco. What do you think about the USP seal label and how would you say that may differentiate from an NSF certified or an informed consent? So I think the big thing with the USP is it verifies the, you know, the, the potency, it verifies the type of ingredients. For instance, uh, with USP, you can have certain regulations in terms of how they standardize, for instance, magnesium citrate, for, for instance. Okay, they have followed the exact processes. Their wrong green has been certified to have, you know, those qualifications. I think the USP also can relate to the, um, the third party, like, hey, this product has been verified as meeting its specs. With the USP does not, to the best of my knowledge, it does not necessarily guarantee though that it does has might not have a banned substance in it. Um, to the best of my knowledge, it's more certifying, hey, you have X in it. And this is another important thing that people should realize when it comes to dietary or you know, anytime you see certification, when you're actually running those um, lab tests, what you're looking for is certain compounds. All right, so if I'm running a third-party test to make sure that I have magnesium, um, vitamin C, and I don't know, elderberry extract in it, whatever it is, you all when you run that test, all you're looking for is those three or four ingredients. You're not looking for all the, the WADA banned substances. Um, you know, because that would cause if you were doing that every time, it'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And going back to the idea of clean sport, which we're all about here at the Sport Pharmacy Network. That's one of the reasons why you have athletes who are taking, um, be it designer steroids or some sort of designer performance enhancing drug. And unless your test is actually looking for that specific thing, you'll never catch it at all. And so with the NSF certification, the informed choice for sport, um, the other certification that I do like is a BC or BSCG, which is, um, stands for Banned Substance Control Group. They're literally testing for substances banned by WADA, and in the case of B BSCG, um, pharmaceutical over-the-counter contaminants as well. So, Sean, most um, just for for all of our listeners, it's literally on the front of almost every label. Correct? It's pretty easy to see. You can identify it, and from my understanding, most of them also have QR codes to look at the third-party testing now yeah. if they're doing it. Mm -hmm. I think that, that's a big thing has, a, uh, has an app where you can actually scan the QR code on the back of the supplement 
and I'll identify if there's any type of contaminants or misbranded products in that particular supplement. And I think that's a really great feature um, for athletes who are uh, looking for dietary supplements to make sure that they have that third-party seal uh, on it. Um, if not, you know, contact the manufacturer. I contact manufacturers all the time to say, hey, do you guys third-party test? And if they can't give me a straight answer, you know, I, I move on right away. But like you said, th those those seals are very apparent on the front end of the label. That's something that most companies that have them really brag about, and rightfully so. Yeah, definitely. Um, are So you talked a lot about not being able to de determine if it's um, effective or, you know, if you're going to get any benefit from taking this supplement or how much do you take? So do you have any, what is the, when you're talking to a client that wants to take something or if somebody's looking to take something, how would they go about finding out if the supplement may work or what is the effective dose? A few different ways to do it. Uh, I, I think the easiest and most accurate way is reaching out to um, sport pharmacists who specialize in this. Um, as well as, you know, um, sport dietitians, individuals who spend their entire life looking at that. Um, I think you're always going to get, you know, pretty good information if you're working with a trusted resource. Another one, it's a little bit more sciencey. Um, I do like if people are looking for up-to-date information, um, examine.com um, can be a great resource for overview for a variety of things. But the other ones that I really like <clears throat> that people can refer to is there's a lot of organizations who put information out there. Um, I know for the military, they have the uh, OPSSS, which has, you know, a lot of great information regarding banned substances, things to watch out for. Um, it's actually really cool. They have a seven-point quiz on their website where it's asking key questions like, one is, can you pronounce the names on, on the, you know, <laughs> in the supplement? Chemical uh, names can be very lengthy. <laughs> I know. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I feel like I'm in like Anchorman where they like play with the, the script that he reads on the news station when reading those. But you have those. They ask questions about, you know, the total number of ingredients. Um, are they using proprietary blends? Um, and I know they have other ones. And they might even have one asking, like, does it have an NSF or informed choice sports seal on it? But it's kind of like an easy questions going down, looking at them. They'll have, a, but a lot of just good general information with, with respect to dietary supplements. So that's another one that I like, you know, the supplement 411 is another uh, thing that they have um, put out with USADA to help athletes figure out like, okay, what are some general guidelines that I should use as it relates to it? And you one, mentioned, but oh, one, go thing ahead. I, one thing I really want to highlight here and feel free to chime in guys is you have two sides of vetting um, these, these legal performance enhancing supplements, right? You have the side of making sure that, you know, the products are safe by, you know, these third-party organizations, but also the clinical effective and application side, Sean, which you just talked about, you know, through examine.com is because oftentimes I hear that just because a product is NSF certified or has those third-party programs and labels on those supplements doesn't necessarily always equate to the ingredients being effective. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think we've all seen working in the sport pharmacy world, supplements that come through that have the seal of approval. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, it's 
five milligrams of magnesium. Of course, I'm making that up, but you know, it's kind of like going back to my world where I, you know, in the food world, you can have organic on a label, but if that organic is on a Snicker bar and you eat 10 of those Snicker bars, right. organic Snicker bar doesn't make it really any better than Sanders Snicker bars, right? Or peanut butter cups or whatever it may be. <laughs> and so that's why it's really, really important that we're emphasizing the clinical doses. Um, you know, what we do with the sport pharmacy is, hey, not only does it have to be clean for sport, but it also has to be effective for sport. <laughs> and I think often people forget that it has to be effective for sport as well as clean for sport to have the best bang for its buck. Yeah. And this is where I you, really you see mentioned... that interaction between the sports dietitian and, you know, for example, your clinical prowess, uh, Jess, and expertise as a sports pharmacist, having that interaction between the sports dietitian and all the other key stakeholders on an athlete's health team to help identify you know, a product being safe, and then also having someone with that clinical research background to make sure it's also followed by, you know, a clinically effective dose, and it's following the appropriate hierarchy of evidence to make sure whatever they're taking isn't some watered down or micro dose ingredient that's not giving them any type of clinical utility to their performance or health. Yeah, I was that, I mean, working with different providers on an athlete's care team, I think is really important because as having gone to pharmacy school and know, understanding all the biochemistry of the body and how much we need, you know, there's a lot of um, support that a pharmacist can give to helping with not only supplements, but understanding drug interactions and nutrient depletions and all of that to helping optimize a athlete's performance. And, and I think you bring up a really good point. And this is why I love the interaction between sport dietitian and sport pharmacist is you highlighted the drug-induced nutrient depletions. When it comes to effective supplements, I always tell people the best supplements, you know, everyone looks at a supplement and they think like, okay, if I take this supplement, I'm going to have a 10% jump in performance. And I always say, man, if you're going to have a 10% jump in performance, uh, you may want to make sure it's legal. <laughs> that does jumps because that's that's usually a red flag for me. But you know, everyone has that thing. I'm like, even like creatine or caffeine, you might only have a three to five percent, which is hey, that's amazing yeah. in the sport world. But you highlight a good thing is where I actually see those 10% jumps in performances is when I'm working with sport dietitians and they're like, Hey, do you realize that oral contraceptives that you know your your client is on is depleting all of the B vitamins? You know, I mean, as I'm preaching the choir here, but you know, those B vitamins, that's why you have or people on oral contraceptives, they have higher risk of depression. Yeah. Well, B vitamins are also critical for energy production. So if we can help somebody feel better and have more energy, that that's the biggest jump in performance you're going to have. And that's why I love what you, what you guys, your background knowledge in those pharmaceutical induced nutrient depletions. Yeah. I, it's so interesting having worked with many different members of like a sports of a athletes care team and seeing the way that you can support everybody because everybody brings a strength to the table and like you understand how the diet and everything works or an AT about movement but being able to tie in the piece of like if you're depleted and of a certain vitamin or mineral and that is affecting a system or the energy system, for example, like you spoke about, that you need those cofactors in order to make that system run efficiently, then, you know, we understand that and can help shed a little light to um, not only your world, but to the athlete. Mm -hmm. And I think another example of where 
Um, and Brandon, let me know your thoughts on this um, and Jess, but another area is making sure that you don't have dietary supplements that are conflicting with medications. True, very true. You know, like, like a blood pressure medication. Yeah. You know, if, if we're all working in our silos, I could be like, hey, I'm going to put you on this vasodilator super pump 9000 that's filled with, you know, <laughs> beet, some natural things like beetroot as well as, you know, nitrates. And then you guys are, you know, and if you guys are have somebody already on a blood pressure medication, all of a sudden we're, we're fainting because we're so lightheaded. So, I mean, I think that's another area that can step, jump, jump out in my mind. And I know, Brandon, you know, I know both of you guys have worked with athletes as a pharmacist, as well as the, the, um, the dietary supplement side of things. So thoughts on that? Yeah. So I actually had a case a few months ago with an athlete that uh, ended up having rhabdomyolysis, right? And it was a result from them taking a handful of stimulants. So that was lion's mane, beta alanine, just to kind of give you some examples. And they were also on a medication called Ritalin. And um, that was a major contributing factor to the excessive breakdown of muscle, which is essentially a symptom of someone having rhabdomyolysis. And so you, you bring home a really good point, Sean, because yeah, there are those common interactions with supplements and medications that can, you know, put an athlete at risk for poor health outcomes. Mm -hmm. And another example too, and this highlights the importance of the interaction, but how many medications, even in a best, you know, safe thing, how many medications do you have to take away from be it things like magnesium or calcium or, you know, some sort of dietary supplement because it'll completely nullify the effects and prevent absorption. Yeah, I see a lot of that with my thyroid patients. I have a lot of the women and a lot of low thyroid. And so the um, magnesium and calcium bind to the thyroid um, uh, prescription and cause it to not be absorbed as well. We're already talking about microdosing on thyroid. So it's not a big dose to begin with. And so any binding, you're going to get this much lower effectiveness. So I see that a lot for sure of making sure iron is another thing that comes to mind with female athletes and spacing that so that you get absorption of the iron. So yeah, you know, timing of nutrients and dietary interventions along with supplements and medications is definitely very important. So one of the things we see that's pretty common in the sports world, in the sports world, when it comes to um, selecting supplements is we see these proprietary blends. Um, then oftentimes they can have some, some safety concerns due to, you know, inadequate ingredient amount because it's not necessarily listed on the bottle. And so I oftentimes, I often think of pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics playing a role in this is because, you know, an ingredient taken by itself or mixed with something else doesn't necessarily give you the same response or amplify the effect. And I always like to use the example of, and this can sound a little funny, but ammonia and bleach, right? Absolutely good cleansers separately, but together can cause chlorine gas, which is potentially lethal. Um, is that something you see sometimes, Sean, or, or <laughs> with these proprietary? The reason why I bring up the, 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 the cleansing example is because my wife, I mean, she loves to clean around the house. I can sometimes <laughs> the opposite. This is awesome. I love it. She's like knocked out on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think because, of that. essentially just because two products can improve anaerobic performance or aerobic performance 
does not always necessarily mean that together they'll improve the, the performance to a greater degree. I think we I think we probably should start with like what is a proprietary blend for those that maybe don't know what it is and like how do you determine it on a label like what is it how do you see that on a label and then let's move into that question since this is your world Sean. So a shoot. shoot. <laughs> I, I was so a proprietary blend is like the the black bag with a bunch of Halloween candy in it. You just have no idea how much of each piece of Halloween candy okay. is in it. <laughs> so basically it's a proprietary blend you'll see on a supplement is when it'll say proprietary blend or it might say like muscle explosion blend or focus blend or whatever it is. And you'll see about 10 ingredients listed. However, it does not list out the amount of each one of those ingredients. Okay. So what it'll say is proprietary blend, a thousand milligrams, and then you'll have like 10 different things in it. Or it might say like even focus blend for ingredients or, you know, whatever it is. And so the big thing that where it comes issues, you can have a lot of ingredients that are um, on their own efficacious when they're used in a given amount. Uh, a perfect example of this is a lot of energy blends, you'll see CoQ10 added to it. Well, CoQ10 to have, you know, effective doses, you're looking at, generally speaking, 100 to 300 milligrams. Well, you might have a proprietary blend that only has one milligram of CoQ10 in it, but you would never know it by looking at the blend because, again, you can't isolate individual ingredients to see how much am amounts of them are. Uh, the one that really sticks out in my mind was there was a very, it, it was just published in the last little while. There was a very popular, I, for the sake, I don't want a defamation lawsuit on me, I won't say the name of the supplement, but there was an extremely popular nootropic uh, supplement um, that people use for focus. It's anyone who does supplements, I guarantee would recognize the name. It'd be well recognized within the sport pharmacy world. Well, each of these ingredients on their own does really good. For instance, uh, one of the ingredients is alpha-GPC. Alpha-GPC has a good amount of research. Uh, one of our, I refer to listeners back to one of our previous sport pharmacy magazines where we spoke about this. Um, so, but if you look at the, the pr entire proprietary blend, I want to say it was like 350 milligrams. I forget the exact amount, but it, well, a clinical efficacious dose of uh, alpha-GPC, you're looking at 600 milligrams. So if you have a, a proprietary blend that has... 15 ingredients in it, alpha GPC is one of the main ingredients on it. And the total amount of the blend is say 300 milligrams. If you need 500 milligrams of alpha GPC, you already know it's way underdosed. So anyhow, they did the study and basically found, they found that this proprietary blend uh, was no better than a placebo um, across the board. And it really didn't surprise me simply because if you kind of re reverse engineer the label, you know, it's absolutely impossible to have efficacious doses of each of these amounts. And so I think, you know, and it's always funny because the manufacturer will say, well, this is the, the way that we're protecting our trade secret, you know, where it's like, yeah, you may be protecting a trade secret that, but that trade secret may be that your supplement is extremely underdosed across the board. Very interesting and very eye-opening. Um, have you seen it where, where the proprietary blends kind of maybe enhance each other and you're like that's all the same mechanism of action yeah. too that, yeah that, that that is the biggest one so if you look at your stimulants and your nootropics um i always tell people in, in a very nerdy level you're always looking for things that complement each other so you actually get a synergistic profile so a very simple one could be like okay we're talking about nootropics let's use 
you know, acetylcholine or, you know, um, or LFGPC, whatever it is, let's use a choline to help with the neurotransmitter flow. But then let's throw something like Cooperzine A in it or something kind of, you know, they work synergistically. Cooperzine A prevents the breakdown of choline. Choline raises acetylcholine, you know, win-win. What I often see though is you have a proprietary blend where you have eight ingredients that are trying to work on the same exact pathway. And how I always explain is it's kind of like if you're driving on a busy interstate, you only have one off-ramp or on-ramp. Well, you can be like, hey, let's throw a thousand more cars trying to go on a single on-ramp. But if you only have one on-ramp onto this interstate, you're not going to do any good. What's the better approach? Well, let's put an on-ramp here and then maybe 200 yards down the road, let's put another on-ramp. Then 200 yards down, we have another on-ramp. And maybe we just add another lane to the road as well. So now you have more on-ramps, you have more lanes. Things all work together synergistically. So that is the big thing is having complementary ingredients rather than duplicating ingredients. Or I should say duplicating pathways versus synergistic pathways. Super insightful. So, uh, so that from, is a from some of the research I've done, Sean, on you know, some of the top reasons uh why companies would use proprietary blends, and you kind of hit on all of them. Um but just to kind of have a checklist for our listeners and feel free to kind of chime in, add or, or modify. But one I found prevent competitor supplement companies from knowing exactly what the ratios and amounts of each ingredient are present in the formula, which you touched mm -hmm. on pretty well here. And then also, you know, claiming that their formula is best performing without providing any clinical evidence, which I can see as, as a big reason why, you know, a, a manufacturing company would want to have a proprietary blend. And then also one of the more concerning parts is like here, hide the actual formula because it contains a very low amount of the actual beneficial ingredients. And then, uh, then lastly, give the company cover for putting illegal ingredients or impure ingredients into the supplement. Do all of these points kind of make sense on why someone would kind of use a proprietary blend uh, formulation like a manufacturing company? Yeah. Absolutely. And I would say the fifth one that I would add on to that list is if you have a proprietary ingredient, that means you can keep the, the formula the same, but you can actually have different batches from formula, formula, formula. Because if I have eight different ingredients in a proprietary blend, let's say this is a very common thing in the supplement world. Everybody wants to have that first batch where you, you feel like you're shooting lightning bolts out of your fingers. Well, what you can do is if I have, I actually like those supplements, side note, but, uh, but if we're looking at the supplement, let's say that primary ingredient, we have uh, 80 milligrams, the first batch that we do it. And we have our second ingredient has 30 milligrams. So you have that kind of that eight to three ratio. Well, when I do my second batch, I'm trying to save money now. People are already hooked on the supplement. So I take this substance that has 80 milligrams. I now decrease it to say, 60 milligrams and I take this thing that had 30 milligrams and I put it at 50 milligrams the cheaper ingredient mm -hmm. so when you look at that on the label this is still a higher amount uh, ingredient a is still a higher amount than ingredient b but you've now changed up the ratios and make it more cost effective and for the consumer standpoint or even a sport who's ever looking at the label you would have no idea that they actually changed the formula on you because Does the total amount of proprietary blend on the label have... is the same, so it doesn't matter what the ratio is within it. It's not that the blend is the same between batches. They can, as long as the amount of that blend is the same, yep. they can get away with saying proprietary blend. It, exactly. So let's say wow. easy, we'll put some numbers to this. If you have a thousand, let's say 
to be up a thousand milligrams. We have three ingredients on it. Um, you want to have a, an amazing effect the first time around. And you know, that ingredient A is the biggest one. So you have a thousand milligrams, you have 900 milligrams of that ingredient. And then let's say you have 50 milligrams of the other two ingredients. So that's batch one. When I do batch two, again, I'm keeping the label at a thousand milligrams, but now instead of having 900 milligrams of ingredient A, which is carrying all the weight, I drop that down to say um, 400 milligrams, or let's say I drop it down to 600 milligrams, so a third of the dose reduced, and then I bump ingredients B and C up to 200 milligrams each. So again, I'm still at that thousand milligram barrier, but I have totally changed up that ratio between the two to save myself money. And from the consumer standpoint, you have no idea because it's still listed in that proprietary blend. And since ingredients are listed from whatever of the highest, you know, weight to the lowest weight, they're still technically they're still in that same, they're still in that same order. So the label doesn't change, but the ratio of those ingredients change significantly. So now if I'm a consumer and I and I want to get very pedantic or precise with this, can I reach out to the manufacturer and ask them for a certificate of analysis? Yep. You, you can always reach out and ask for a certificate of analysis. Most companies won't provide that. Figure. Um, and so <laughs> I get to have one do a proprietary blend. Like, oh yeah, we're more than happy to uh, share that with you. <laughs> but I think that's where it comes down to um, working with uh, uh, as much as possible supplement manufacturers who are using full label disclosure is a thing. And, and that's where it's too, it can get really confusing for the consumer um, on a lot of things. That's why I always encourage them to reach out to sport pharmacy, people who specialize in sport pharmacy, who know exactly what to look for. You know, the supplement industry is so interesting, or I should say the supplement consumer. And when I was in my teenage years, I was no different from this. Like, I just assumed I knew it because I jumped online and read it. Like, <laughs> it's one of the few things in the world, like, you know, if you're, you would never have like, you know, a, 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 a you know, an eight-year-old be like, oh yeah, just jump on the internet and learn how to read or jump on the internet and learn how to do math. No, you send them to school where they work with teachers who are experts in learning. And that is just a standard thing. But for the supplement world, we sometimes forget like, hey, let's, you know, don't be afraid to call the ready out of the bullpen and have the expert come in to finish that role to help you perform at your best. It's it's like they tell you the devils in the details when it comes to the yes. supplement industry. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was say, I, I think social media has made a huge impact on the supplement world because there's so many people, influencers, you know, professional athletes, NIL deals now that you have athletes that are promoting supplements that may or may not be effective, may or may not be safe, but they can still promote them on some in some levels, um, depending on how the regulations are written. But I think that's played a huge role in the amount of people using supplements um, because there's so much media out there saying, use this, it's safe. I did this and I performed this way. I, I, I feel bad for people it's, because it's, was it's it, crazy. Uh, this, this could, this could be a little bit of a different example here, but was it Wheaties or Cheerios back in the day where they paid these athletes top dollars to say, Hey, use Cheerios or Wheaties. It's going to uh, reduce your cholesterol by this amount. And I think they got fined for that, for that claim. I was, I just remember all the Olympians being on the Wheaties boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, you may not be old enough. It's okay. No, I, 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 do, I do remember that. Like It's like everybody oh gosh, eat, your, I, eat your Wheaties. And then yeah. the, the, the Got Milk commercials. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. Like my, my mom would bring home a thing with a raisin band. I'm like, mom, what are you doing? 
get these raisins out of here. I need Wheaties if I'm going to be an Olympian. <laughs> You got to watch I think it's important for consumers to know that, you know, all these, none of those require any of the certification or effectiveness or anything that's just promoting it for pure, you know, financial compensation, probably. Yeah, here. <laughs> The, There's definitely the, the one that a would always secondary stick out fee. my or, or go on, Brent, I apologize that you're saying. No, I'm saying there's definitely a secondary gain between some of these It's supplements so crazy. in, in the marketing. One of the best examples that I have seen uh, happen time and time again with me, here's a real life case story was um, individual came to me. This was a teenager and he's like, hey, Sean, he's like, I'd really like to get on ashwagandha. Uh, and I'm thinking like, oh, is there stress issues going on or trouble sleeping? You know, I'm like, this seems like a really advanced for like a 15 year old to be asking me about. And so I'm talking with him like, well, why do you want to get on ashwagandha? He's like, oh, I was watching TikTok and I know it's going to really jack up my testosterone to help me get big muscles. And I'm thinking, my I gosh, believe it. if and this, and this kid was cl clearly already going through puberty. And I'm like, I'm not going to lie to you. If you're having testosterone issues while you're at, you're at the height of puberty, ashwagandha is not going to fix that for you. I'm like, that's a huge clinical thing. We need to get you into a medical facility to use. So that's one example. Um, another example, but again, that came off a TikTok influencer said, hey, ashwagandha is going to get you big jacked biceps. Um, another study I, or case study I can share with you, and I should have mentioned this earlier when we were talking about safe supplements and the FDA regulation. So one of the things I do make all the clients I work with do is before they buy a supplement, they have to snap a photo of both the front of the label as well as the nutrition facts panel of the label. That way I can evaluate them if they're in a brick and mortar about to purchase something. Um, I had a client send me, he was a division one football player, send me a label. He's like, what do you think about this, Sean? I'm like, well, if you want to have, be shooting lightning bolts out of your fingers, most definitely we'll do that for you. However, if you want to pop dirty on a P test, um, lose your college scholarship and kiss your NFL dreams goodbye, put it back. He's like, well, what do you mean? Well, on the label of their eight ingredients, three of them were banned substances and not even like banned for athletes. We're talking like legally, they can't even be in the dietary supply chain um, on there. But that is the thing. You can go into a lot of locations. Um, uh, I'm going to make some, some broad generalities in terms of these are kind of consumer tips take home that you can work with. Um, your products that most be tend to be the most adulterated are one, um, stimulants. Um, there, they often get spiked with your Adderalls or Relins, you know, or whatever, you know, chemical there. Um, anything that's weight loss. Weight loss is another category that is often uh, contains banned ingredients. Um, the third one is uh, testosterone Muscle boosters. enhancing. But yeah, what's that? Muscle enhancers. Yeah, the muscle enhancers are big ones. And then two, outside of the sport world a little bit, but like your sexual performance uh, enhancer supplements are good. Like you always see, you know, Oh, let's you, be you honest, heard? the male erectile supplements, uh, you know, over the counter. I'm sure Those you heard are all of this. adulterated. I'm sure you heard of the story of I forgot the name of the the nutraceutical company, but they were um they were selling Yohimbe. And they were using um, sildenafil. Was it sildenafil? Yeah, they were using sildenafil inside of their product, which was which was which was crazy. It was eye opening. So essentially, you buy a you buy a bottle of Yohimbe, and you're having all these sexually enhancing benefits, right? And you're like, man, this stuff is good. But little do they know, they were actually using pharmaceutical 
sildenafil ingredients inside of a nutraceutical supplement. You know, yeah. oh, they they got fined big time. I think uh, the pharmacist was, I think it was a pharmacist who actually um, was running the the manufacturing company, and he got he he got totally banned from the Florida Board of Pharmacy. So. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point, Sean, with the sexually enhancing <laughs> supplements, man. Yeah. So, it, oh no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, if if your um, if your supplement is outperforming Viagra and the ones you're saying, it's probably <laughs> a sign you're not gonna get that from a beetroot uh, powder alone. I, right. I assure you. <laughs> yeah. Are there some questions that you think a consumer should be asking or know when they're looking at for a supplement? Like, should there some questions that they should be going through to make sure that they have a quality supplement or effective supplement, like when they're talking to a pharmacist or a nutritionist or anybody? Uh, the key things that I'm always, I always tell people, these are some easy questions that you can ask. One is, uh, number one, if you're a drug-tested athlete, you need to be asking, is this supplement NSF? certified for sport, um, informed choice certified for sport, um, the BSGS uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, for sport, making sure that those are on the label. That has to be the number one thing that you're asking if you're a tested athlete. I should mention, depending on what part of the world you are when you're listening to this, within the United States, NSF is usually the, the primary one that organizations are looking for. Um, all the international clients I'm working for, usually the main one that they go for is the informed mm -hmm. choice for sport. So again, realize that all these, you know, test the same thing. You might have a different label uh, depending on where geographically you're coming from. So that's number one. Uh, the second thing that I always encourage um, athletes when they're working with sport pharmacy teammates is like, hey, I'm looking at this supplement. It says it has magnesium in it. Is this the right form of magnesium I need? Great I find that is a big time. thing that, what's that? Great post you made the other day in regards to that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And and that's why I always tell people is you can have a great ingredient, but if it's not in the right form, your body won't be able to absorb and utilize it. Um, and that's a big thing. The other thing with, and this is something I do a lot. We, we all th three, I know I'm pretty quiet here, but uh, in terms of an education, as we're talking to other clinicians is letting them know that a lot of these ingredients are spiked. Um, the post that brand's referring to was um, magnesium glycinate. Everyone loves magnesium glycinate, a whole host of health benefits. I, I use it myself. But if you look at fully reacted magnesium glycinate, you can is only about 10% of weight by powder. So if, if I have an 800 milligram uh, capsule of magnesium glycinate, I can only actually have 80 milligrams of magnesium in it. So again, 10% of 800 is 80 milligrams. So an easy red flag is if you see something like magnesium glycinate and it has 130 milligrams of magnesium per capsule, you know that's been spiked with magnesium oxide, which the body's not going to be able to absorb and utilize. So, so it's the example too of like calcium carb, carbonate versus calcium citrate. The elemental calcium is different in each form. And in, in your expertise, Jess, especially working with women, I'm sure you see this with iron. You know, you have yeah. different forms of iron, but the elemental iron is not this is not the same across the different base and salt forms of it. Yeah, I see it. Iron, calcium, magnesium, definitely. People are just like, I got this one and I don't it don't feel 
like it's helping. I mean, I'm pretty sure I got a text the other day saying I didn't think it was helping. And I was like, okay, so what are we <laughs> taking? Send me a picture, you know? And then it's like totally underdosed based on, you know, elemental amounts. I was like, oh, that's why. Now you, you bring up three really good ones. What are things that people, um, in your opinion, they should be looking for, like for iron? What what are, is there any like key common characteristics on things that help ab improve absorption of these nutrients? With iron? Yeah. I, my big thing is making sure you're taking it with vitamin C okay. and you're taking it away from exercise. Exercise tends to cause a uh, decrease in the ability of your body to absorb it. So my big thing, I know you, you could probably put a thousand, you should do it here. You should space it from this. If they're not taking it, they're not going to get the benefit. So ideally with vitamin C or some acidic food away from exercise. And the studies have actually shown taking it every other day is actually possibly more beneficial than taking it daily, which can be challenging for people to remember every other day. <laughs> and is there a certain form of, uh, you mentioned the different forms, is there a certain form There's... of iron to, uh, that people should look for as a preferred? I Most people start with like the um, ferrous sulfate just because it's, the easiest to find it is the one that's usually most inexpensive and a lot of people some people tolerate it well a lot of people end up with gi side effects so usually i see like um a bisglycinate or even the poly iron which is a polysaccharide iron being the um ones that most people end up with longer term because of ferrous sulfate's a little too intense okay very cool yeah would you say too, just to add to that, iron can cause uh, some constipation? Oh yes, very much so. <laughs> that I think Thanks. nausea and constipation are the two number one reasons people stop taking iron, in my opinion. So make sure fiber-rich diet and you're staying well hydrated while you're taking iron supplements to definitely help promote you know those healthy bowel movements and to prevent getting backed up or constipated. For sure. and, and I think here's another way where I think really sport pharmacists can really do a, a wonderful job is realizing just because a supplement is healthy and has uh, health benefits does not mean that someone should be on it. Um, for for instance, I think iron's a great example. If somebody's absorbing too much iron, you can have a lot of negative health consequences right. yeah. um, on there. So I think that's the other reason thing that people when they're uh, when uh, individuals are reaching out to sport pharmacists for help is asking, Hey, is this a supplement that I should actually be taking? So even though it enhances performance or improves health, that doesn't mean that someone should be taking it based off all these other factors that go into it. Very true. Lastly, I... you know, making sure we're quantifying to see if the iron supplement is working by doing blood tests every maybe three to six months, um, doing an iron panel, iron studies, uh, would be a good good idea, and these are recommendations. Again, a clinical sports pharmacist can make to the to the provider or in collaboration with dietitians. So, very cool. Super insightful. <laughs> Super, I, there's stuff I I did not know about the uh, proprietary blends that they can change up the amounts within them, even though it's keeping the same. So, thank you for enlightening me on that today no worries <laughs> a fun conversation but yeah. talking with you guys as well awesome so um, um that's all we have time for today 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, Sean Casey, great having you on. Jess, always a pleasure. I think we unpacked a lot of information in this show. For my listeners, we hope that you found the content on this episode insightful and thought-provoking for both your health and human performance. As a quick reminder, you can sign up for our newsletter and exclusive membership perks and offerings at sportsrxnetwork.com. Again, sportsrxnetwork.com. Make sure you follow and share our content on social media and subscribe to our podcast. We will include any relevant studies or references in the show notes, so make sure you guys check that out. Lastly, as a reminder, the information provided by the Sports Pharmacy Network is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Each patient athlete is an individual. And any, and any individual nuances require a whole person picture to be reviewed. Thanks again for the support and listening to the Sports Pharmacy Network podcast and look forward to you enjoying us on the next episode that drops in two weeks. You ain't ready for greatness. No, you won't, but can't take this. Ain't in the same conversation.